0: Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Thad Hate.
1: I'm Carl Wonders. And today we'll be talking about Dr. No. Yes, Dr. No, the, the film that started everything here, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess they assumed they would be doing a whole bunch of movies even when they started it. I didn't
0: actually read the background that I probably should have.
1: Yeah, so so what I understand was they, when they decided to do the films, Ian Fleming was partway through writing all the the books that he eventually wrote and they had identified a few that they thought might make a good initial film um when we get to it in a few weeks um they originally were thinking about doing thunderball as the first movie and it was actually and we'll again we'll talk about it i think when we get to it but there's a very convoluted way that that film story came about <laughs> um, yes <laughs> and uh, it really <laughs> 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 so my, my understanding and they're There's probably somebody out there on the internet who knows more about this than I do and will correct me. Um, My understanding is that Ian Fleming and Kevin McClory and I believe Jack Whittingham was the other guy's name, um, they sat down and kind of spitballed this movie idea and when they decided not to do that as the film initially, they, they decided to do Dr. No, Ian Fleming went off and wrote a novel called Thunderball and used that story and that really was the start of a lot of legal issues that plagued the Bond franchise for a while. We'll uh, never say anything about that again. Never again. Never say, never talk about that again. No, never say (laughs) never again. Uh, (laughs) um, So my understanding is that they decided to pick Dr. No um, primarily because it was a relatively simple story in that they only have one major location they go to. Uh, They end up in Jamaica fairly early on in the story and they don't really go anywhere um, and the thought was that that was something that was easily adaptable uh, to a film when they didn't have a big budget or anything like that.
0: And it was $1 million according to
1: the James Bond wiki. Okay. So, Dr. No was made for a budget of $1 million, which seems fairly impressive to Remember, me. Remember, this was uh,
0: 1960s, though. So, like, today right. it would be
1: a lot more. <laughs> So Dr. No was released in 1962 in the UK, and I believe in 1963 over here in the United States. It was directed by Terence Young, who went on to direct two other films after this one. Uh, the script was written by Richard Maybaum, uh, Joanna Harwood, and Berkeley Mather. And the summary that I have in front of me, the little synopsis, uh, says, In the film that launched the James Bond saga... Agent 007 battles mysterious Dr. No, a scientific genius bent on destroying the U.S. space program. Sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds about right to me. You know, we both sat down to watch this. I, I think we both said earlier that uh, we hadn't seen it in a while. Um, uh-huh. What's your initial take on Dr. No? What were your thoughts going back and watching it?
0: Uh, my first thought while watching it was, boy, the 60s were a different time. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's just so much that happens in this that is, you know, completely not okay in a post Me Too world, um, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, no, I think, overall, it holds up pretty well. As an introduction to James Bond, I think it works... Well, a lot of what makes Bond Bond is established in this movie. We get the first time, we have a martini blended and not stirred, but of course blended Mm -hmm. is just another word for shaken. Uh, You know, we get, we get, we get the Walther PPK. We get Mm -hmm. Bond, James Bond. I mean, this is, this is a classic film that establishes James Bond as the man that he is. And if this film had not been as strong as it was and as well received as it was, we may not even be having this podcast.
1: Yeah, probably not. I mean, they probably would have gone on to do a few other ones. I a lot of this to me feels a little bit like they were testing the waters a mm-hmm. little bit to see what they could do uh, with with the with the character with the story. Um, you know, I've I've read the novel once or twice. It's been a while. It's the the film is fairly faithful to the story. Um, there are certainly movies down the road um, <laughs> that diverge quite a lot, and it actually happens much more quickly than you would think. Oh, really? Yeah, the first one that really has nothing to do with any of the stories is you only live twice mm. um but but uh and we can talk about why in in well, how that happened that, yeah. but um there's yeah when we get there i mean there's significant differences in in goldfinger there's significant differences in from russia with love um and we'll talk about those i when should get probably the read film. those
0: it, at some point it,
1: it, yeah there. the as you mentioned, um, they are a product of when they were made, which is mostly the 1950s. Uh-huh. The novels were started in, and uh, there's some problematic stuff in there, uh, particularly the way he refers to certain individuals or certain groups of individuals, uh, the language he uses, um, the the word choices, uh, and and as you mentioned, the Me Too thing. It certainly is is problematic. The way Fleming writes women and the way the character treats women, um, and this is this movie is no exception. Yeah. To oh, be absolutely honest. not. Uh, if, if we're looking from the beginning, um, I actually like the setup with Sylvia Trench. I kind of wish that she had been a character that stuck around a little bit more than she does. She shows up in the next film uh-huh. and then we never hear from her again. Um, but you know that that opening scene with her at the at the casino yeah. and the way they introduced James Bond, I I really like that. Um, you, you mentioned you know, some of the problematic stuff, the the thing that really stuck out to me in that scene, and I don't know if it's because I watched it on Blu-ray and never noticed this, but the amount of cigarette smoke that is oh, floating around yeah. that table is just ridiculous. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that, that's one indication that this is a different era. Um, and, and then, you know, the whole money penny thing has always been. Yes. And I feel like it's especially bad in this one. It is bad in this one. Um, and I'm glad at least originally they went away from that with the first Brosnan film, mm-hmm. and then they kind of reverted. I would A little say, bit, yeah. Beyond that, uh, yeah. There's the virtual reality. Oh God, I forgot about. That. Oh, don't oh. even. No, let's not even talk. Anyway, we have so many fil- better films to talk about before we get to that <laughs> one. Let's, let's Yuck. Anyway, so Doctor No. Yeah. Uh, Before they had virtual reality or even (laughs) much in the way of computers at this point. Um, I mean, you get that wonderful scene at the very beginning of the, all the radio operators in that room with the headsets and stuff. And they're the, the, because the whole, the whole thing gets kicked off because uh, this guy who's been assigned to work in Jamaica is murdered on his way back to, to report in. And, and then the line goes dead and they, 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 and bond out to investigate. I which...
0: love that scene, though, because it's one of the very few times in a movie where a gun silencer actually
1: sounds like it really does. Yeah, well, when 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 Strangways is killed. Yeah,
0: because it, it still has a loud noise because a, a silencer does not make a gun silent or make it a tiny little pop noise. It just muffles it. You can definitely still hear a, a silenced gun. So I, I really love that, that that moment when they pull out the guns and you hear the boom, boom, but like
1: quiet boom. So, yeah, so, you know, they call in Bond out of his uh, his card game. Uh, they're playing Chemin de fer, which is the first time you see that game, uh, obviously, in a Bond film. And it's going to recur multiple times. I
0: did not know what game that was.
1: It, it But, <laughs> I mean, it's the game he plays basically up until we get to the Daniel yeah, Craig Yeah, no, video. and I
0: I know, but, I,
1: like, honestly, I always thought it was Baccarat, because I don't know what Baccarat is. I don't know the difference. <laughs> uh, he mentions... Because, because when they, when they get up to leave, he says, "Do you play any other games besides chemin de mm. fer?"
0: Okay, because like, because he plays, if not the same game, a very similar game in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. and I thought they called it baccarat then, but I could be
1: wrong. They probably they might. Um, okay, chemin de fer is a version of baccarat, according to Wikipedia casino game in the United States, de fer was displaced by Baccarat in the late 1950s. So it might actually be a bit of a mistake to be playing that game. It's probably coming out of the book.
0: Yeah. Wikipedia actually lists de fer as a variety of Baccarat. Okay.
1: So it's a very similar game. Um, And yeah, so he plays that game pretty much almost, not in every film, but fairly regularly. I would say anytime that there's a casino involved he's he's playing some version of baccarat so bond is called in to m's office it's the first time we meet m who's played by bernard lee i think he's fantastic and absolutely the right oh absolutely he has the right take on the on the character
0: okay so i also love judy as m but
1: bernard lee is m yes so i like i like this first scene a lot with m uh i like how we need immediately get their dynamic where i feel as though in a lot of ways, M puts up with Bond more than is oh definitely happy to be working with him. Um, you know, it comes out right away with him confiscating his little Beretta and saying, "No, you have to carry a different gun." And then that exchange with uh, Major Boothroyd, who will be replaced in the next film.
0: Um, yeah, and I'm not. I mean, I I mean,
1: there's nothing wrong with Peter Burton's performance, but he's no Desmond Llewellyn. No, he's no Desmond Llewellyn and Desmond Llewellyn I mean, let's be fair, Desmond Llewellyn wasn't really Q until Goldfinger That's anyway. True. He you know, he should. I could see this version of Major Boothroyd doing the briefcase scene. A
0: yeah. Bit. But I mean I, I also feel like it's more Q like in from Rush With Love because the briefcase
1: mm-hmm. is like an actual gadget, where in this case it's really just a gun. It's not much of a gadget. So yeah, and then Bond goes off to Jamaica, and this is the first in a long line of Bonds, and this is to me the only time it should actually work, where Bond lands in Jamaica, and there's this other guy who keeps following him around and is kind of surveilling him. They tail him in a car for at one point, and eventually you find out that it's Felix Leiter who works for the CIA. And apparently the writers and and the, the creators of the series really liked that gimmick because they would constantly be changing the Felix Lighter actor in every yep. film other than once. We never see the same guy other than one time. And they always play it off as who? Hmm, who's this mysterious person following around Bond? And it turns out to be Felix. Which is kind of dumb. You know that, you know, they're they're playing off of the the recasting thing a bit. And sometimes they don't even have Bond know who he is. Right. Like sometimes he does,
0: sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I think for the most part, he knows who it is. It's just that he doesn't see that he's being tailed. you know in this film, it's Jack Lord who later went on to fame starring on Hawaii five. Mm-hmm. Where does this version or where does his take on lighter sit with you and rank among the many, many, many Felix Leiters we get to see in the series?
0: uh he's fine <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, uh because Casino Royale is one of my favorite. Of all of the films, um, the actor whose name is escaping me is probably my favorite portrayal of Lighter. Jeffrey Wright. That sounds correct. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he was in Westworld. He was in the Hunger Games. He's been in a whole bunch of things. He was on um, Boardwalk Empire. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's just a great actor in general, and I thought he was very good as Felix Lighter.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I I mean I like. Jack Lord, um, I think he's better, I, I think he, as, as you say, he's fine, he does the job that's needed of him. I think I rank him higher in my head just because I don't care for a lot of the other people they pick to be Felix Lighter down the road. Um, there's a couple that I pref- not prefer, but that I enjoy, um, but for the most part, I don't think they ever did better than, than Jack Lord, and apparently, he wanted a lot more money and he wanted more billing and things like that down the road, which is why they cut him loose and decided to recast the part. But I guess that was back when he was doing television and and was a bigger name at the time. I don't think he was that big of a name at the time that this movie right. came out. We see Bond in a car that that gets driven and and then we had the first inkling of... of something suspicious happening with his driver well he,
0: we get that when he first calls the hotel to see if they had or calls the embassy to see if they had sent a car for him and they tell him they didn't is, is the embassy in jamaica really called government house i guess well i guess it was jamaica uh, uh, was jamaica an independent country at this time i don't think so so it wouldn't really be an embassy for the british it would be you know
1: so yeah that's probably... So Jamaica became independent July 19th, 1962. So, like... Contemporaneous with the film. Right. So, yeah, it makes
0: sense then. Um, government House is probably just where the British government,
1: you know, does its stuff in Jamaica at this time. That that makes sense. And when they filmed it, it's probably... Yeah, when they filmed it, when it they was... they shot those scenes, it was probably still under under British control. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then they say, Well, we didn't we didn't think you'd want it, a reception, so we didn't send anybody. Like, right. Which immediately clues bond in that something's going on here. You know, you get the, the your first little action beat here with the with this quick fight scene with the, the driver, um, who then in in lieu of talking does himself in with a cyanide cigarette, which I thought was kinda clever and probably not too far removed from what actually was available to these types of people at the time. Yeah,
0: that was a cool scene. I, I liked that. And you could tell that it was the 60s because, like, he's like, no, I'm just going for a cigarette. It's like, if that happened today, you'd be like, no, you can't smoke. Answer my question.
1: <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you get the first of a couple dark humorous bits at the at the end of that when he pulls up to the to where he's going and leaves the guy dead in the back seat. And... So I have to make sure he doesn't get away. Yes. <laughs> uh. I like the reaction of the guy when he sees that he's
0: dead. That was good. Yes,
1: yes. I I actually like some of the dark humor in oh, yeah in, in this film. I think there there's some really witty mm-hmm. dialogue. My I think my favorite is later on there's another car chase and there the he ends up driving the people off the road and he just and these under in a construction site and and the the construction guys walk over and look at this car that's now on fire and I think they were on the way to a funeral because it was a hearse yep yep <laughs> which is a great line
2: uh
0: that was really good i did not like all the close-up shots of bond driving his car when you could clearly tell it was a green screen behind him
1: well, it was it's not a green screen they didn't well, have okay green screen. it was it's, it's got to be a rear it's rear projection <laughs>
0: right and it right if it would have been green screen it probably would have looked better <laughs>
1: it probably would have yes <laughs> <laughs> that that's one of the fun things about going back and watching these films from the 60s is the, the the way they made them and and you know the some of the obvious things were you know sit behind this wheel and pretend like you're driving you know and, and look around and, and everything but
0: yeah yeah because today yes it would have been green screen and it would have looked like they were actually driving as opposed to someone's just you know playing a video behind them right <laughs> <laughs>
1: The, the thing that always gets me with the rear projection is when they realize that they didn't shoot a scene on location somewhere so they put like a, a background plate that's clearly not where they are. <laughs> um, they don't they do not do that too much in this film. They do it a lot in some of the other mm-hmm. ones. Um, it's just, you know, I think it's just a product of its time and that's how it. Oh, yeah. how it is. So they go and they investigate um, this Strangways who's the guy who's disappeared and Bond's walking around his apartment and or his house and stumbles across this receipt uh from a from a dr dent who is a geologist in the area and is somebody that strangways had been playing cards with if i remember Mm -hmm. correctly the scale that we're still operating on with the story i think is is interesting because it for a lot of the film it is a very small kind of almost a procedural kind of story uh where you know this this thing this mystery happens and they're trying to get to the bottom of it rather than you know they know that some big event is happening which is what tends to happen in these films down the road i i also like
0: uh when bond gets to his hotel room we have the we have the scene that we have a very similar scene in from Russia with love and that i don't know if it ever really comes up again where he's basically like searching for bugs and marking everything to see if someone comes into his room and i thought that was kind of cool
1: yes because uh, he does the same thing in the
0: next film and then i think they just sort of like nah we don't need to show this again
1: yeah like i like the you know when he takes the hair off yes. and like puts it across the door but yeah i like these little these little touches that that they throw in there early mm-hmm. on he's he's not trusting of his environment he's making sure that people aren't doing things they're not supposed to yeah so he checks out his hotel he's he's found the receipt he goes and talks to the group that he was playing bridge with, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're playing bridge. He goes to the, talk to the group that they're playing I bridge. Another card game, I don't know. It's a game that I, I used to play it occasionally, but the scoring is complicated and I
0: <laughs> My parents are really big into bridge. They actually recently went on a cruise where all they did was play bridge for a week.
1: Uh but yeah, it's never been something that I've done. I mean, other than the people in this film, I feel like it's a game that you have to be 60 to understand how to play it. <laughs> that plays my parents, I don't know. <laughs> All right, so where where do we go from here? Where do you want to? Well, he goes to talk to Quarrel. Yeah, then he does. Yes, he meets Quarrel, who I I like Quarrel a lot. I like his attitude at the beginning, where he says, "You know, where did you take him fishing?" And he says, "Out there, you see that? That's the Caribbean." That's where. yeah, that was good. Um, did you notice that Quarrel's brush was completely dry? I did. No, I did not. The one he's paint, painting yes. his boat with. <laughs> these are the kind of observations I expect from you in these
2: in these podcasts. <laughs>
0: yeah uh we see uh we see a uh 1960s uh cruise ship in the background in this scene too which is Mm -hmm. looks very tiny when you think about cruise ships today
1: yes everything looks kind of tiny i think compared to what we have today that's true uh except uh no bond's
0: waistline is much higher than uh
1: he would have today okay well yeah all right
2: that's true (laughs)
1: That that's very
2: true. That,
0: that's that's the other thing that I can always tell. Like, oh yeah, this is the '60s. Like, because everybody's wearing their everyone's wearing their pants above their belly button, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, he meets Coral. Uh, Coral's being rather evasive. He goes back to the bar where Coral says, "Let's talk in
1: private," and then he gets jumped. Right. He gets jumped by Pussfeller, <laughs> who is the owner of the restaurant, yep. whose name makes more sense if you if they kept the original script in the story. Um, cause Coral makes a comment about how he wrestles alligators yes. and that, you know, Bond said, he's like, don't no, no you struggling. Cause he wrestles, wrestles alligators. Um, originally in this, in the book, the character is famous because he wrestled with an, and defeated an octopus, Aha. which is why his name is Pussfeller. Um, so now he just has a silly name that doesn't make any sense at all. But, uh, despite, pussfeller's reputation bond rather easily tosses him off and and then holds up coral at gunpoint only to be interrupted by the mysterious man who has been following them from the uh from the airport um they quickly realize that they are on each other's are on the same side and fun fact then they move on from there there are no alligators in jamaica i wouldn't think so i that that always struck me as odd um i don't know how alligators would get to jamaica unless they're indigenous <laughs> which they're not um we get we get a lot of alligators in a few films later but uh oh okay so
0: this is there are in fact crocodiles in jamaica though so okay this
1: is less okay Com- common yeah, mistake okay. Uh, i'll accept it yeah i'm okay with that yeah and then we go on to uh, a night scene at at Pussfeller's establishment.
0: Yeah, we get to the scene of Pussfeller just walking around, checking everything out.
1: Check Checking out all the dancers as they're doing the jump up, which was a very popular dance craze at the time
2: yeah. I,
1: mean, I have heard i don't remember specifically there, there are some amusing extras dancing in the background oh yeah they have seen are. the film enough times and you don't need to pay attention to the conversation that's being had just watch the dancers in the background it's pretty funny it
0: so we we hear them talking they're talking about uh, dr no and crime key and I believe this is when Coral tells us that there's a dragon there.
1: Yes, that he doesn't he doesn't take anybody fishing on Crab Key. So
0: I have some thoughts, some, some
1: more to say about the dragon, but that'll wait until later. Okay. And then a woman takes their picture. Yes. Both Bond and Lighter seem to understand that that was a bad thing, um, and he sends Coral after her. Um, again, some wonderful 1960s attitude towards women here he grabs her arm and twists it behind her and hauls her off to the table where bond is interrogating this this woman about who she works for she says she works for the daily gleaner which i believe is the big newspaper in kingston at the time pusfeller says that there's no photographer there and he's bond is trying to get her to say who she works for because clearly she's not saying who she's claiming to be One of those moments that always makes me cringe because it seems like it'd be way worse than it's portrayed is, you know, she smashes her flashbulb on the table and then swipes it down the face of Quarrel, who doesn't really seem to mind that very much. I guess it's just a way of showing how tough the guy is. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but that that just always kind of... I don't know. You don't see much. I mean, he wipes his face and it's bloody. Yeah, but but he doesn't seem to care at all. It seems like that'd be a pretty... And he's he all healed up by the next morning. Well, that's just a movie Um thing. Like, yeah, he's yeah, actually yeah.
0: still smiling. He's like, eh, whatever. I get smashed in the face with glass
1: all the time. No big deal. <laughs> well, and, yeah, he just laughs and shakes his head and is like, we're not going to get anything out of her. <laughs> and so Bond bon takes the film and gives her the camera and sends her back on her way. And I don't think we ever see her again. Um, no,
0: I don't think so. That sort of was a bit of a... No. like. I wonder, do we actually see her maybe like in the hallway or something in Doctor No's complex? I don't think so. Okay.
1: Um, because af- and and part of it might be because right after that he goes to visit uh Professor Dent again, who eventually comes out and says, Oh, I it was just these pieces of fool's gold or iron pyrite or whatever and they were worthless and and says that Strangways was a bit of geology nut, um, which is inconsistent with something we learned later. Immediately after this scene, we see Dent get into a boat and go off to this factory, which is apparently a refinery for aluminum. They're mining bauxite on Crab Key. And we get the first appearance, although it's only in voice, of Dr. Nell.
0: There sure are a lot of men with guns standing around for a bauxite factory.
1: There there are. Um, Maybe bauxite theft is a big problem in Jamaica. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But... We we have our first in a long line of Bond villains with their own army wearing same uniforms, looking very similar, and walking around with machine guns. Also, so Dr. No at one point says he doesn't care about the location. He can always just move somewhere else.
0: This is a ridiculously elaborate uh, headquarters he has set up that would have taken, like, a <laughs> decade to build. And he... You would think... <laughs> Like, I'm just looking at this scene here uh, with Dr. Dent. He's got, like, the polished marble floors and,
1: like, I mean, come on. Yeah, and the and the giant skylight in the ceiling. Yeah. Um, to, to me, this just really shows off Ken Adams, the production designer, his design aesthetic. Yeah. Because this is probably the first of the really memorable sets that we get from Ken mm-hmm. Adams.
0: And it does sort of set the stage for Bond villain layers, which will have have a very it, similar appearance over the next several films.
1: Yes, exactly. But I like the scene a lot. I like the way we get introduced to Dr. No kinda of as a disembodied voice more than anything mm-hmm. else. Um we have no idea who this person is. We know nothing about him other than that people are afraid of him. Um and then, you know, Dent is there saying Bond came to see him and Dr. No eventually tells him you have to get rid of this guy. They choose an interesting way to do it, a very memorable one. I don't know if this is how I would go about eliminating an enemy of mine if I were a a, a villain of some kind. Um, He gives this giant spider to Dent and says, you know, to use it to kill Bond. Um, Yes. I don't know, What what do you think about the... Seems like a
0: pretty, you know... It's not a direct way of killing. There, could, there are easier
1: ways to kill Bond than to let loose a yes. spider into his room and hope it bites. I mean, I will say that this is again the first in a long line of ridiculously convoluted ways that Bond villains try to get rid of James Bond instead of just, I don't know, shooting him or mm. something. I, I, I suppose we should. This is a good place to stop here a little bit um, because when we were talking over how we were going to structure the the shows that we're going to be doing, we came up with this list of topics that we would run through at at some point we can go through them a little bit um but and i'd mentioned this briefly on the last episode that some of these despite the fact this is the first film and it really was a template for a lot of ways some of these things just don't apply to dr no so the first topic on the list was the pre-title sequence which there isn't one in in this film um you launch right into you get the gun barrel for the first time um which I believe, was a last second thing that yep. they thought up. Maurice um, Bender, who does a lot of the pre-title sequences, in, or the, the title sequences, including the one from Dr. No, uh, comes up with this idea of James Bond walking in and, and shooting this unseen person with a gun. Um, fun fact, that's not Sean Connery nope. in, in the gun barrel. It's it's Bob Simmons, who is the stunt coordinator and the, the stand-in for Sean Connery. And we see him for the first three films before Sean Connery ends up doing his own version of the gun barrel uh, for Thunderball. Um, and then you get this rather wacky, very sixties title sequence with these colored I love dots it. that move in and out. I like it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. I, I, I actually really enjoy that. I theme. like it a lot. You you get, you do get a little bit of the hint of what's to come in future sequences with these dancers that are dancing to a Jamaican mm-hmm. tune So there's, so yeah, no pre-title sequence to speak of. Um, the second one topic being the main titles, which we already talked about and the main title song, which, you know, we get for the first time ever the James Bond theme. Yes. Um, it's certainly one of the most memorable, most influential pieces of music ever written for film, I would argue. I, yeah, I would agree. There, there's, there's a huge backstory controversy about who actually wrote the theme that we won't get into here, um what do you i am assuming you most people like this theme um i, I certainly enjoy yeah, it yeah it, it i don't think i ever get tired of it
0: i mean uh, it's you know the standard theme it's yeah it's iconic is probably the best way to say it
1: yeah i mean i put it up there with you know trying to imagine star wars or indiana jones without that theme oh, yeah. music you just i just can't do it you know and and that's why when you this for such a crummy movie this is going to be the i think the third or fourth time we've talked about it already on the show but when you go to to watch never say never again and they don't use the theme anywhere because they can't it's it's glaring to me
0: is there a movie um is there a an official bond film other than uh
1: that uh does not use the theme anywhere except in the very beginning um i don't think the the closest one I can think of is Casino Royale, which they mostly held off. Yeah, but they play it at the, the very end. Although there are bits there, yeah, and there are bits in there that they do reference a little bit of. But I don't think there's any that you never hear the theme ever. Um, for a lot of the early Connery films, you they, they play it all, all over all Yeah, the, the original that that original recording they play over and oh, over yeah. again. Uh,
0: and they they do it also in the Moore era too, that you just hear it in random scenes. They'll play it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the closest I think we ever got was maybe the Eric Sarah score for GoldenEye, but even they used it very sparingly, but they've used it mm-hmm. a little bit in, in that film. Um,
0: Cause I mean, I could conceivably see a movie would only show it during the gun barrel scene and
1: then not again. I mean, I guess the later films, the Thomas Newman ones, he didn't use it that much uh, in Skyfall or Spectre. But again, it does, it, it's used when right. appropriate, I would say, rather than in some of the early ones, they kind of used it whenever they, they felt like it.
0: You, you'd almost expect it to happen a lot in Skyfall, considering how much Skyfall is to be like a celebration of Bond.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: it's true. I really liked that movie when it first came out. Anyway. I, I did too. <laughs> we'll we'll <get> there. <laughs> Um. No, but the reason I thought about going through these topics a little bit was the the number three one was the villain and then their ultimate plot that we mm-hmm. see. Um, what do you think of Dr. No? He's odd.
0: It's it's a ridiculous... I mean, it's a ridiculous plot that doesn't make all that much sense, but that's Bond for you. It sets the tone, and we will continue to have villains with
1: ridiculous plots. True. That's very true. Um, yeah, so his... The ultimate scheme, as far as I understand it, is to knock down american space missiles yeah but why for reasons
0: he never really says why
1: reasons no (laughs) i mean he he does he does name drop specter yeah which you know which is the overarching bad bad guy organization for a lot of the earlier bond films and then it comes back every once in a while um specter is not something that ian fleming invented um huh By the time you get to Dr. No, um, so Dr. No is actually the sixth of the novels. At this point, there is no Spectre. Spectre doesn't come around until Thunderball. Spectre was a co-creation of Ian Fleming and Kevin McClory and everybody when they were spitballing the Thunderball story. And so Spectre is behind the plot of Thunderball, both in the film and in the novel. That's That's one of the major differences, and... To be honest, I don't remember why Dr. No is doing what he's doing in the novel either. It's just, you know, he's monkeying around with something that he shouldn't be, and that's ultimately what Bond comes across. Um, I do like these stories, and it happens multiple times in the series, where Bond goes off on a mission under the auspices of something, and it turns out that there's something else completely different that's going on that he kind of stumbles into. Yeah. it happens, you know, it happens in Goldfinger, it happens in a few other things, because in this film he's really just there to uh to investigate the disappearance of this Strangways yeah. guy. And in in the process of that investigation, he uh, you know, uncovers all this other stuff that's going on. Um So yeah, his the, the, the Doctor No plot itself is questionable in terms of whether it makes sense. What do you think of the character
0: himself? He's interesting. I mean he's got uh, backstory, which we don't always hear the full backstory of our characters or villains. So that was interesting. Uh, the metal hands thing is a uh, feels really felt really odd to me until we got to the end and I remembered how he died. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, he works as a villain. He's. I have trouble viewing, like, I realized that Dr. No, when this came out, there were no other movies to compare it to, but I have trouble viewing Dr. No in isolation, especially because it wasn't the first Bond film I saw. So to me, Dr. No feels no, not much different than any, than the other typical Bond
1: villains. But I realize that when this movie came out, there were no typical Bond villains. Right. I agree with that. Um, I like, I like him as a character. I think he's interesting. I think he has there's a depth to him that you don't always get with some mm-hmm. of the other villains. Um, what I noticed in my last viewing for just in, you know the other day is how little he's actually in the yeah, movie. Yeah, he's barely in it. Um you know, you have you have the scene with Professor Dent early on and then you have the scene where they meet at dinner, which is really the only real interaction Uh that he has with 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 bond and then he shows up for the very end where he's essentially spouting out word salad to to uh, knock down the missile until he notices what bond's doing um i think he comes off as a very intelligent very coldly calculating kind of person which which again is kind of in that mold um i think joseph Wiseman plays him very well um, he, he has one of my favorite villain lines, especially early in this, in the series. Um, you know, you kind of collect these lines in your head, but I like the one where he's, he's talking to Bond at, at dinner. And at, at one point he says, you know, I was thinking that I could maybe convince you to join Spectre rather than, you know, working for the secret service. And he says, you know, unfortunately, I misjudged you. You are just a stupid policeman. <laughs> Which I always thought was a was it was a good line and and one that uh, is kind of a template for the the ways that these villains disregard Bond at some point. Maybe not the most famous one, but but a, but a good one. Um. So yeah, so that's the first we get inkling we get of Doctor No is, is in that that scene where we just hear his voice. Uh, then you get the very famous scene. I would say probably if anyone knows a scene from Doctor No, it's probably the scene coming up where bond is in bed and finds the spider in bed with him
0: oh by the Um, way uh this was the movie where he puts talcum powder on the suitcase
1: yes it is i did i did notice that yeah actually so that's something i find interesting he comes
0: back to his room he sees the hair is gone he sees that someone touched his suitcase but that's all he doesn't like investigate to see what they may have done he just checks to see if someone did it
1: he he said well somebody clearly someone is was in my room and messing with my stuff
2: i'm gonna go
0: to bed
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah Well, he's going to pour a drink first, but yes. <laughs> True. Yeah, okay. He pours a drink, and then he goes to bed. Uh, gets woken up by the spider. Um, you know, again, we're, we're limited by 60s technology. You can clearly see that the spider is walking on a piece of glass that's above Sean Connery, yeah. um, who apparently was, was absolutely terrified of spiders. And there was no way he was ever going to let any kind of spider walk on him. So the scene where you see his face, yes, it's on his, it's on a piece of glass, but
0: like the close-ups, it's on like, you know, a stunt person and it is
1: actually on a person. Right. When you see it on his arm, crawling up his arm, it's, it's definitely crawling on somebody that isn't (laughs) right. I don't think. And, and in, in one of those moments that either humanizes bond for you or annoys you, depending on your take on, on things, he immediately grabs his stomach and probably goes off to the bathroom to throw up. Um, which I always thought was an interesting way of ending that scene. I mean, that might have been my reaction.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so Bond ends up uh, with a spider in his bed. Um, he then goes back to the government house people, uh, who, among other things, tell him that he's received a Geiger counter uh, from his people from from the UK. Um, this, this is the point, I think, when Bond ends up flirting with the secretary another secretary uh, name a secretary bond doesn't flirt with this one he he to to paraphrase uh a character from one of our favorite shows he goes at this woman oh yeah um and uh (laughs) he convinces slash coerces her into letting him come up to her house or go out to dinner or something with her um he then goes and takes the geiger counter to the boat that Coral has where they find that there were radioactive samples.
0: This is another thing that you can tell it was made in the 60s because the Geiger counter goes off when he scans his watch to make sure it's working.
1: Yes. Because he has radium in his... his Yeah, they don't don't do that anymore. Um, (laughs) No, they don't do that anymore. Uh, (laughs) Which to me, I would be... Wait, why does this thing go off the same as it does with the rock samples? Yeah, there's also... That's also... But... (laughs) we're worried about radioactivity but the stuff on my wrist is fine i guess um yeah so so they find the the samples they realize that that dent has been lying to them about what the samples were because he wrote them off as just these worthless chunks of iron um yeah iron a pyrite from miss tarot what he said yeah, iron pool pyrite pool. yeah we 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 get a, a scene where he gets a message from miss tarot who's the secretary. Uh, he talks to her and she says instead of coming to dinner why don't you come meet me at my she house. She has a really nice house for a secretary. She has a very nice house for a secretary. actually. She's
0: also she also um... wears high heels in bed and that's just weird. <laughs>
1: I've I've never worn high heels in my life and I don't think anyone should wear high heels yeah, in bed. Same. But any anyone who who lounges about wearing high heels in bed, please reach out to us and to, and tell yeah. us why because I'm truly baffled by this. Um so James Bond goes out to head up to her house this is where we get the car chase scene with the rear projection um and 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 the hearse um one of the things i do appreciate in watching this film and then it shows up later on is you is this is one of the few uh of the films where sean connery still has his own hair (laughs) and they're able to to do wind effects on it (laughs) while he's driving so at least they try to do that Uh, (laughs) that is a very good point um, he he was he was losing his hair oh, yeah. here. He, I, I believe, I believe by Goldfinger they decided they had to put him in mm-hmm. a tube, but, uh, but yeah, he it's his hair here. Um, so yeah, he he drives under that construction vehicle and knocks the hearse off the road. Uh, and you get the, I think they're on the way to a funeral mm-hmm. line. Um, you then get the first inkling that Miss Tarot never expected him to show up because she's emerging from her her room in a in a towel uh confusedly opening the door um i've never opened the door to anybody in a towel before i don't know if
0: i have not either but i mean i guess you you might if like they it also depends maybe there are people that lounge around in their towel i don't normally but some people might like spend like some time after their shower just sitting around in a towel I don't
1: cuz like I I believe she's still wrapping herself in the towel when she goes to right to open the door. So this is, you know, clearly she's just out of the shower um which of course is convenient for Bond. Mm-hmm. Um cuz we then he's he starts poking little holes in her story. Can you imagine how hard it would be to dust
0: in her house with all that textured wall uh, with all those open Yeah. Yeah, the mm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah that, that yeah no i but yes bond definitely knows that something's up uh and that's why he keeps trying to like he's playing with her because he's like let's go out
1: he is yeah no let's stay here let's go out okay fine and he orders the car and she's doing her nails and you know we go outside and we find out that the car he ordered was not a taxi it was the authorities i don't know what he's arresting her for yeah um... that was interesting <laughs> I mean, she hasn't done anything. We then get one of, maybe the only woman who spits in his face at some point? I don't know. I have not kept track of these things. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sure it happens again. I'm sure it has happened again, but... So then Bond goes back into the house, pours pours himself two glasses of vodka to set the stage for the scene here. That they've been... He's been involved with this woman in the house. Uh, yeah, it goes and plays some solitaire for a while. Um, and then Dent shows up. And Dent shows up. Um, Dent shows up and shoots what he thinks is a body in the bed that he has staged. Um, good thing that wasn't Miss Tarot and not Bond. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking that.
2: How do you know who that is? I
1: don't know. <laughs> um, and we get a scene that I believe was controversial for the time it still bugs me
0: i mean at that point like the line is great you had your six that's great but then he just shoots him in cold blood and at that point he was not a threat to him there was no actual legitimate reason for him to shoot him he could have actually he he could very possibly have gotten more information out of him rather than just killing him
2: Mm mm-hmm
1: yep
0: Like, all the other times that Bond kills in this movie, it's in self-defense or to prevent him from getting caught, from, from, you know, prevent the alarm from being raised, etc.
1: But in this scene, he's just, he's just murdering this guy. And you get the sense that he is able to, but, I mean, he has license to do that. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know where I sit on this, actually. I mean, I imagine it was done, again, because we're introducing who this person is, we're trying to make him out to be this... Essentially a cold-blooded killer at times. Right.
0: And I get that. But I, even a cold-blooded killer should only kill when, you know, like, it's not like he was sent to Jamaica to kill this guy. Yeah. yeah. It just it just feels, it just rankles me because it, it, it was unnecessary. And he wouldn't have done it to a
1: woman also. No. What I definitely find to be unnecessary is when he shoots him the second time. <laughs> yes. Like, after he's on the ground. So, yeah, he sh- he shoots Dent. Um, we also, I also forgot to mention that I believe this is the first of many, many, many times we're we're going to be hearing Underneath the Mango Tree.
0: Uh, we actually heard it the first time in Pussfellows Bar.
1: Oh, you're right. That's right. When, when he first starts talking to mm-hmm. Coral before they go into the back room. Yes, that's right.
2: Underneath the mango tree, me honey
1: and me, come watch for the moon underneath the mango tree me honey and me make blue loop
2: soon
1: but yeah it's it's a song that they clearly paid for (laughs) to have written for the show for this movie and then decide we're going to play it as many times as we can even to the point of having for the only time i believe james bond singing uh at one moment he sings part of the music of the song back I want to know if Boola Loop is actually, like, real Jamaican slang. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah, I don't, does any Has anyone other than in the song ever say, we're going to make Boola Loop soon? It's
0: Boola Loop, um, actually, but yes. <laughs> Boola Loop.
1: Boola Loop. Yes. Okay.
0: Urban uh, Dictionary only
1: references this lines. movie. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> there you go that's the kind that's the kind of crack uh (laughs) research you should expect on this podcast um i one thing i I will go back to the briefly to the the shooting professor dent thing i actually wonder if that's another thing that dates this movie in the 60s uh you know these days do you think the hero of a film would actually do something like that
0: not a james bond like hero uh if it was a movie about like someone like deadpool or something yes they would uh but not someone who's supposed to be uh like a legitimately good person like Bob.
1: okay yeah yeah like a an anti-hero kind of character who we tend to get a lot of these days
0: yeah no they definitely would like there would definitely be the dark gritty show on HBO with a secret agent that would do that sort of thing but not James Bond like i don't think they would ev- they would ever have craig do that i mean there is the scene i mean it is somewhat similar to the scene in Casino Royale at the beginning. But in that case, that the guy he killed he was actually sent to kill him. He was on a mission.
1: Right. Well, or even, you know, in Quantum of Solace when he stabs that guy in the leg and lets him bleed yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty bad too. I mean, he was not quite right in the head no, at he that was. moment, but still. Um So anyway, we just just a question I thought I would raise there. Um we we then have uh, a quarrel and Bond boat over to uh, Crab Key with a separate rowboat and a giant jug of rum that Coral is drinking liberally from. Uh, <laughs> and then they go and hide out in this little stream while Coral drinks some more rum. Um, and then we get, again, I earlier I'd mentioned, you know, the famous scene with the spider. The other famous scene from this movie, uh, which is when... We have Bond waking up to the sound of singing mm-hmm. and Ursula Andress coming up out of the water in her bikini and... That is not Ursula Andress singing, the With by a bag way. of shells. Or ever speaking. It is not Ursula Andress. No, it's a woman by the name of Nikki VanderZil. She who dubbed, like, dubbed most of the women in the Pretty film. much every woman, every, women, every woman in James Bond up until... Even into the even into the Roger Moore mm-hmm. era, uh, she did a lot of the dubbing for Jane Seymour in *Live and Let Die*. Um, why would you
0: even need to dub? Jane- so
1: if it's, I I don't know. Um,
0: <laughs> like Ursula Andress, I get because she has a heavy German accent, but Jane Seymour. <laughs> unless unless every episode of Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman was dubbed, I really don't understand why Jane Seymour needs
1: to be dubbed. <laughs> I, I don't know, I, but I mean they 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 do it they do it to Shirley Eaton in Goldfinger. Yeah, um, they also do it to Goldfinger in Goldfinger. Well, that's for different reasons, but but Nikki Vanderzil did not dub Goldfinger. Yes.
0: <laughs> that would be amazing if she had though.
2: <laughs> that
1: would be a, that would be a very interesting movie if she did. Um, but yeah, so that if you're wondering why you know Honey Rider sounds a lot like domino and thunderbolts because it's the same <laughs> <Yes>. woman's voice <laughs> and like um, every other woman in this movie yeah other than i think lois yeah. maxwell and 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 the woman photographer i think she was dubbed by somebody else who also has dubbed some different women in this film series so you know bond meets honey Ryder on the beach um you know we're on our list again we were talking about one of the categories being the the different women that show up in this film um, rather unfortunately but still termed a bond Mm -hmm. girl which goes all the way back to then um i don't know what do you think of of her uh in terms of the other women that we see in these films or if that's even a fair comparison since she's the first one we get
0: well i think she like everything else i think she sort of establishes what a bond girl is Mm -hmm. um she's the woman who is intelligent but also is very much dependent on James in his, you know, masculine prime to, you know, help her and defend her and lead her through everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think she ends up that way. Um I like a lot of the early scenes where she's the one that says, "Here's where we can go mm-hmm. and hide because I'm I've been here before. I know where I'm I know what I'm doing." Um she plays a very important role early on in protecting Coral and Bond.
0: And I think that's one thing that most not all but most bond films do that i like is that they do not portray the bond the the bond girls as you know complete idiots who are really only there for bond to sleep with in most of the bond movies the the woman actually does have important information can do things is able to is able to work for herself and do things except in the instances where she needs bond to save her they always need bond to save her but but I, it it could have been a lot i guess what i'm trying to say is it could have been a lot worse they could have made it they could have gone into much more ditzy you know attractive woman stereotypes and they and they steer away from that somewhat especially for the
1: 1960s yeah i mean i would say that if anything the later or not the later the mid films in the in the 70s sometimes get worse with that the more era I was especially bad with that yeah yeah um and and in some ways i would even argue that in in a lot of these films and even into the 80s and 90s and the aughts mostly the 80s and 90s I would say they sway the other way where they write a character that they then don't back up with the right choice of actor. Where I'm thinking of, let's say, Christmas Jones, Mm. who is written as a smart... I mean, she's written as a nuclear physicist, and then you go and cast Denise Richards in the role and it just doesn't work. Um,
0: But Christmas came twice a year, Carl. Christmas came twice a year. uh, Why... Why did you say that?
1: <laughs> that I I have I have multiple times pr- proposed that that is the single worst line in film history. Yeah. It's not good. Uh and it's bad when you write when you create a character and you name the character such that it's only set up to be the worst line in film history at the end of the movie. Um Thankfully she's not in Doctor No. So they're on the on the beach and and the ship comes by and shoots takes pot shots at them a little bit.
0: I liked uh I liked how they're like, We know you're there, and Bond's like, nah, they're bluffing. They're just shooting to
1: in the hopes we'll come out and he's right. Yeah, he's right. Um They but they do shoot shoot holes in the boat, which is a problem. Uh and then, you know, honey says, I have a place we can hide and takes her to this lagoon area. Um you know on the way they get they run into these guards and bond has to again kill somebody they do that thing where they cut out the reeds and they hide under the water
0: yeah that was cool um reminded me of robin yeah, hood
1: a little bit yeah and that this is where Coral says we have to take a break because it's going to be dark and that's when the dragon comes out. So,
0: when the when they're first hiding behind the sand behind the sand and the, the shooting the gun at them. Did you think something was going to happen with that crab that was crawling past Coral?
1: Yes, every yeah. time. Because the crab crawls down and Coral looks at it like he's terrified. Yeah, I
0: thought it was going to like go down his shirt or something, but
1: no. Yeah. I I'm wondering now if that was a complete accident and that was the actor like going, "Oh shit, crab." <laughs> Poss- um <laughs> 'cause a lot of these films I would imagine they didn't want to do multiple takes if they didn't yeah. have to uh for budget and other reasons I mean they're on location and all this stuff, so you, they've just shot around a crab you know that went down to the hole um uh, but yeah, every time I see this, I'm like, oh that crab's gonna like bite him and he's might and he's gonna have to not jump up or something, but no, nothing like that ever happens um so yeah, they're hiding out we learn a little bit more about honey rider's background um. She's apparently been reading through the encyclopedia and that's how she knows things. Um, I mean, you would learn a real basic idea of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, And then they find dragon tracks, what what Coral calls dragon tracks. Uh, And then it becomes dark very quickly. And then this dragon shows up and I know you said you wanted to talk about the dragon here.
0: Why does the dragon exist? I get that there's the legend of the dragon, (laughs) but this is an island that's patrolled by boats filled with men with guns who is mm-hmm. getting to this island seeing the dragon and living to escape to tell people about it
2: hmm.
0: why is this dragon here
1: I, <laughs> I feel like they needed a scene <laughs> they needed to barbecue quarrel uh, well they're okay they, yeah they they unfortunately had to to take out quarrel yeah that was just it just felt and so unnecessary They're just the, like, oh, we'll cook Coral. And I will say that in some way, in in some way or another, and I don't remember the specifics, the dragon is in the book. Okay. It's a very similar thing to to what we see in the film. It just seems. I guess it was an It's an element that they carried over. So
0: unnecessary. And it is silly. I I I understand why they made it. They like I understand the concept of why they made. it. They made it to like help perpetuate the myth that there's a dragon on this island. How is it doing that? Because if you get mm. to the island and get in inland far enough that you see this dragon,
1: the odds of you getting back out without someone killing you are pretty low. I would think so, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Um. Unfortunately, Quarrel is taken out by a flamethrower at this point, and Bond and Honey Rider are taken captive and taken off to to the mine. It did seem sort of unnecessary to just kill Quarrel off like that it it did again it's the first in a long line of bond allies that don't make it through the film unfortunately in this case the black guy yes that that's another unfortunate aspect of this um but they go back to the island and they're put up in what looks well first of all they, they have to go through this extensive decontamination process because Whatever Dr. No is doing has created a lot of radioactivity. Um, I'm unclear as to what he's doing. I mean, the radioactivity seems to be related to the technology he's using to topple these missiles, I would think. I'm confused as to what it is and how this machine works that all the radioactivity ends up outside.
0: Yeah, I was wondering that, too. Like, it's just, like, the whole island radioactive? I mean... I feel like you're doing something wrong if that's the case.
1: <laughs> yeah, it seems to be. I mean, they, you know, they get hosed down, they get soaped up, they get, they go through multiple showers. Something
0: and... I had never noticed until this time, probably because I was watching it on Blu-ray, is that Ursula Andress is wearing a bodysuit.
1: Yes, she is. She is wearing a bodysuit, um, which it's still a fairly, I don't know, it's a fairly daring shot to be putting into a film. From... Yeah,
0: and it's always, and it's obviously intended to be there so quickly that you think she's not correct so yeah in a 60s film that was a daring shot
1: the mpaa would have been all yeah over... well especially since i believe it was originally released as a g-rated film did pg even exist in the 60s pg oh. did exist at the time and i think it's it's now been re re rated as pg that makes sense i um, would definitely not call but... this g there's like like no, no, no people no. get killed i mean well, for for comparisons, the original 1968 Planet of the Apes is also rated G. I wouldn't rate that G either. I wouldn't either, but that's what they decided it was. So the MPAA was a different thing then. Um yeah, so they get you know, they get decontaminated, they get matching bathrobes and they're sent off to what looks like a very fancy hotel setup um where they're being told that they'll be meeting with Dr. No for dinner. And then they are given drugged coffee. You're being given drugged coffee, which is not the first time, or the last time, that Bond will be given drugged coffee. why is he given drugged coffee in this instance? They're already locked away in a cell. What is
0: the purpose to drugging them?
1: I I don't know. And
0: while they are unconscious, we see Dr. No, well, we see part of Dr. No, as
1: he walks in and, like, tucks Bond in. (laughs)
2: with
0: with
1: his metal hands which i which 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 is just there to establish that he has metal hands which they then establish again in the next scene um i guess it was just we have to have something sinister happen here i i would have been just as fine if they had gone from being put in the room to going out to dinner uh because the next scene we see bond is awake again and dressing himself for dinner it's not like the drugging actually caused anything bad to happen
0: and to them. And after they dress for dinner, they're led to a copper-plated elevator, which I thought was kind
1: of cool-looking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the style of this entire oh, Yeah, area, and, like,
0: once they um, go into Dr. No's living area, and it feels like a uh, like fancy 1960s house.
1: Yes. Fancy 1960s house. Um. They have that that window into the water. Mm-hmm. You have the, the step
0: down, which is always so important and houses at that time and yeah. the fire the futuristic
1: fireplace yeah. gotta gotta have the conversation pit here here's a fun fact that that footage because clearly it's it's rear projected footage uh, of the fish
0: you don't say
1: um was way bigger than they'd intended it to be so they had to add in the line about how the the glass magnifies is convex and magnifies <laughs> the fish
0: so that was an accident that's um, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the footage they got
1: was wait, they're like, "Wait, these fish are way too big. What do we do?" <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> that's funny. I like that. Yeah, so we get we this is the first time we see Dr. No. He comes in and introduces himself and says, "Sorry, I'm not going to shake your hand because I have these black metal hands on instead of real hands." Um he gets his vodka martini shaken not stirred from Dr. No. And they they go up and have dinner where Dr. No does, in great Bond villain tradition, explain everything that he's doing. Um,
0: Yeah, because obviously, you know, you got a
1: monologue. Um, There's a cute little moment here with the Wellington portrait that is an in-joke that nobody gets anymore because it's not a timely thing. Um, I read somewhere that that painting had recently been stolen. Oh,
0: that makes sense. When they were making the film. I wondered why they gave a close-up on that.
1: And they had no idea who stole it yeah so so they thought it would be cute to put in that dr nose told the painting uh yeah no that w- i'm sure that worked at the time <laughs> probably worked better in in england than in the u.s though to the point where one of the reviews i read said that that was the best joke in the entire film
0: yeah i didn't get that at all i was just thought it was just a weird thing
1: yeah so okay so we have the dinner scene here which i think is a pretty good scene um you have Bond trying to provoke Dr. No a couple times. Well, we can't all be geniuses, can we? Tell me, does the toppling of American
2: missiles really compensate for having no hands?
1: Which I thought was... Was not a line I would ever have thought to say, but I like that he's kind of prodding the guy. And, and to his credit, Dr. No's like, you keep trying to provoke me, and like you're not going to do it. Stop trying. So what do you think of all this stuff? This, this scene and and...
0: Well, Doctor No is hoping that he can recruit Bond at this point, um, right? And like, I, I I get that Bond is obviously intelligent and resourceful, but you know, he's dedicated to queen and country, and that's not going to happen, right? And
1: which he realizes mm-hmm. eventually.
0: And I I mean I it again we see this scene that sets up the trope how movies like this will show everything in the future because we have the villain with his giving it monologuing about his grand evil plan and which is all sorts of things that like you wouldn't think would happen but does because we need it for exposition (laughs) yep and yeah i I think it works i I really i do, do really like the visuals i like the the way everything is designed in this room and uh Again, you can tell us the 60s because they're smoking indoors after dinner. Right. <laughs> like, that's the one thing that's like, it's like the idea of people smoking cigarettes, okay. But like, to me, as someone, and it, it's weird because it shouldn't feel this odd to me because I grew up in the 90s and I remember when restaurants had smoking sections. But like, as someone mm-hmm. in the 21st century, it just seems so crazy to me that people would
1: smoke cigarettes inside. Yeah, no, I agree. But it was, you know, it was the thing. You would have a drink and you'd have a cigarette after you ate a fancy dinner. And, yeah, the amount the amount of cigarettes that go through in these early films um, is is just amazing to me. And they, they Fleming mentions somewhere in one of the books that he has, I think, like a two-pack-a-day habit oh, or something Jesus. like that. Yeah. I could be wrong on the number of packs, but it's more than one. Which... Even in, like today, you would just—I'm just, I'm just imagining—even just the economic uh, impact that would have on your so, budget. But... So the
0: next big Bond Von villain is going to be COPD, I
1: guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, so you get the you, you get the dinner scene. You get his attempt to steal the knife and that fails. Um, you get the Doctor No's demonstration of his strength by he crushes that weird like thing i don't know what it was on the desk that statue or whatever it was with his hand
0: i do wonder how these hands work
1: i don't know uh because they clearly open and close to some degree Uh, and there's other there's other bits where you know he he does this weird thing with his with his uh napkin because he can't quite handle it properly um but yeah i don't i don't know how they would work this is definitely before they had prosthetics oh yeah normally so um i mean in in the book he has claws um I I like this take on it better, even though even if it doesn't quite make yeah. sense. But but yeah, so you get you get that and then you get the scene where, you know, Doctor No admits that he was trying to recruit Bond and then gives up that pursuit, uh, leaves him behind to get the crap beaten out of him by some of his goons. Um and then Bond wakes up in a slightly different set of accommodations from the one he'd left uh earlier, all kind of battered and stuff he's in essentially a prison cell. Um, he nearly electrocutes himself trying to get out of that grate. Yes. Um, realizes that was a bad idea. And then his, his bed, his bedroom slippers are apparently insulated enough that he can. You'd think they would have
0: caught fire. I mean, I realized there was some smoke, but they you'd think they would have caught fire.
1: Something would have caught fire.
0: Also, apparently just tossing the grate to the side was enough. Like whatever was electrocuted was electrifying that grate was then not a problem for him to climb in
1: well i mean maybe it was going he broke he broke the you know it's a broken circuit now i guess i don't know um (laughs) maybe uh, who knows Uh, yeah fair enough well and then and then you get this kind of this is so i first watched this on television as as i saw the by the a lot of the bonds the first time
0: uh and this would have been like this would have been old standard definition for three television right
1: yes it was yeah on like a 20 inch tube right. television but i just remember like this entire set of pieces of the movie seemingly taking forever <laughs> yeah. um because of commercial breaks i mean i could have sworn we had at least two commercial breaks while bond was crawling around inside of these weird on cable things. i believe it uh because he he breaks out of the, his cell and he crawls into this duct, which, just like all like the Jeffries tubes in Star Trek or other things, they everyone has these giant ancillary places you can go and crawl around in. Um, and then he it's it's almost like this obstacle course where he finds this section that's too hot, so he has to wrap up his hands and uses and then water comes to po- crawl around. Yeah. And then water comes through and he gets drenched again. The the benefit of sean connery actually having his own hair at yes. this point um and yeah and, and i'm like just why is this in the movie <laughs> and 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 more to the point where is that water going?
0: i was wondering that too especially with all these great <laughs> does water just randomly pour out of yeah. holes in the wall in this place
1: <laughs> i mean i can uh, that that's really my bigger problem because i can totally see that that you have you you know you're under the water. You're gonna have drainage. You're gonna have to do stuff. But then he crawls along for a while and then comes to a what seems to be an on grade big grate that he <laughs> yeah, breaks out of. Yeah. I mean, there's no water on the floor. Where the yeah, water? Why go? is
0: air ventilation <laughs> and uh water runoff the same system? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is yeah. The, this is the first of two very big uh design choices that i questioned with dr no's entire setup <laughs> here we're about to get to the second one uh,
2: <laughs> so yeah he
1: get he, so he breaks out of the out of the grate um he you know chokes out some guy and steals his bubble suit radiation suit um and then again this is another seed where it seemed in my memory it takes way longer than it really does because I, there was at least one commercial break in here while there's where they're setting up um, another great Ken Adams set that looks like a bunch of other Ken Adams sets that we're going to get later uh, with with the gantries and it's so huge there's like so much empty space
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah no and it sets the state because they all look like this but it, it just feels so ridiculous again we come back to Dr. No said oh this is just a temporary place I can move anytime I'm like bullshit
1: no, you. Sorry, can't. you'll probably have to bleep that. But, uh... <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. I I love the the bit when when Bond goes in and he's trying to hide, so he like grabs a folder and pretends to be reading as yes. he's walking around.
0: I want to know why are there so many different kinds of protective suits, and like why does only one know. guy have the inflated protective?
1: Oh, the guy yes. up on the thing. I. I don't know. It, I mean, he's probably the last guy of the group that you'd want to be wearing the inflated one because he's kind of chugging yeah. with, but um <laughs> but but here here we are and, and it's going to come into play later. My my second big question uh, about design here. Um you're you're building this giant nuclear reactor thing that, you know, you have the fuel rods in this pool of water and you have to turn it on and off to, to do this stuff. And right in the middle, you have this big danger level arrow it's like don't turn this knob past this halfway point because bad things are going to happen like, why why would you design a control that the midway point is where you should never go past
0: <sighs> yeah and why would you put it in such huge letters like that it's like that's basically I just know. there to tell bond how to destroy this
1: <laughs> yeah exactly which is exactly what he does so you know dr no looks right at him and thinks he's somebody else and sends them mm-hmm. up to the up to the thing. Um,
0: That's why they have different suits, so they can recognize
1: who's who. <laughs> right. He's wearing the Chang suit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's he carries a little file folder with him and it's hanging around. Um, and then when the the, the moment comes, and he has to turn on the reactor, and he does. And then he just kind of quickly turns it way higher than anything else what than it's supposed to go, and and you know all hell breaks loose essentially, and. Uh Dr. No goes up to confront him cuz I guess he's recognized who this person is at this point. Um I I like that confrontation I think with with Dr. No and Bond. I think it, it works reasonably well. Um and I like that what does in Dr. No is the fact that he doesn't have the hands cuz he falls down the the gantry and can't climb up yes. out of what is I would imagine boiling water at this point.
0: It certainly um, looks like it.
1: Yeah, so it's gotta be a really crappy way to go um but it's 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 cleverer than a lot of the ways that bond villains get done in down the road where it's taking something about the character and and using it against him i think in a way that is interesting
0: yes and this sets up the recurring motif of uh after when bond defeats the, the villain he's also like the villain's lair is about to
1: explode because that will continue for quite a bit yes of course that villain's lairs explode a lot uh, in the series.
0: I think, the, like, the most egregious example of that is Man with the Golden Gun, where, like, it has this truly bizarre powering system that has to be kept super cold, and Bond disables it by, yeah, d- by killing a guy and throwing the body in the vat, and then the whole thing explodes. Yeah.
2: yes, yes,
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. That's, that's a, that's a moment.
2: That that whole movie makes no <laughs> sense to me. Like why
1: the the weird solar weapon and yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, Doctor No is now boiled alive in in this pool of water. Which you know I mentioned off off the air here that it's a better ending I think than in the film or in the book where uh, at one point Doctor No gets a bunch of bird guano dumped on him. <laughs> um, because instead of instead, so in the book instead of mining for aluminum, they're refining this dung basically to create fertilizer and as that's the the cover and uh dr no is buried alive by bird shit essentially which is i guess fine but this is much more satisfying way to go um so then we get a little bit of the ending here of the the yes the villain's lair is about to explode so we get another trope of the bond series the henchmen running around crazily trying to escape um, as Bond usually is looking for the girl that has come with him. Uh, you know. Oh no no!
0: Here we go. We do see the photographer. That's the woman that Bond shakes and interrogates.
1: Really? I think so. I could be wrong, but it looks like her. No, I think no. I think she just works there. It it, it it's it looks similar to her, mm, but it's not okay. But I I love I love before that when he runs across a random guy and is like trying to ask where she is and he has no idea so he just punches <laughs> yeah. him and then <laughs> and and then this this little bit where he finds honey rider in this this cavern i think is a very it, it's one of those creepy things that you could see being done in a in another film where she's chained to this incline and they're slowly filling this room up with water and the the implication is that she's eventually going to drown
0: I also want to know what the heck happened to Bond's uh stomach with that giant hole in his shirt. Because that's not just a he got stabbed with something there hole. That's a hole where someone removed part of
1: his shirt. <laughs> it's an overeager uh, custom designer maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it looked like that ever since he got beaten up yeah, at the Yeah, it did. at the uh the at the dinner scene. It's just a bit extreme. Yeah. So, okay. So then in Bond tradition, the entire villain's lair explodes. I I shudder at the implication of how much radioactive fallout is. Oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, As a result of this, (laughs) which is not ever really.
0: And it's all going to go right into the ocean. And
1: yeah, it is right. The Caribbean, the Caribbean is now uninhabitable. Uh, Man, that's unsettling. I was just there a month ago. And then, you know, thankfully for Bond, the, the boat that they escape in runs out of fuel. And we get the same ending of pretty much every Bond film. Okay,
0: where... what is his end game here where he lets go of the rope? Like, I realize he's gonna, you know, <laughs> they're gonna get it on. Oh, yeah. uh, they're gonna make Bula Loop. But, uh... Yeah. <laughs> when he lets go of the rope, like, after they're done Bula Looping, uh, they're still gonna be stuck in the middle of the ocean. yeah. He'll just call Felix again, <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: I guess.
1: <laughs> I'm also wondering how Bond is hanging onto this rope as the sole source of what's keeping the yeah. boat attached to the larger boat. Um, I mean, I will say that this is, again, this is typical of, of Bond where he does get to make Boola Loop with the girl, but they happen to be in a rather untenable position uh, at the end of the film. So, But yeah, that's that's Dr. No yeah there we go that is
0: that's the whole story yeah we have very short end credits like really we do
1: i mean this was this was the era when they put so many things in the opening credits and for whatever reason all of the minor roles never really got credited as participating in the film um must be pre-unionization of a lot of these different areas um I mean, now anybody who did anything on a film gets in the end credits. But uh, back then, it was just, here Here are the actors' names again, and that's about it. We get one more chance to hear the Bond theme again, and uh, and that's it for the film. So we, you know, we again, going back to our little list of topics here, we've covered <laughs> most of them. Um, we didn't really have gadgets. We didn't have gadgets. Um, I mean, aside from, I guess, Professor Dent we didn't really have much in the way of, I guess the photographer woman. Um, we didn't really have henchmen. Um, all of these things will fall into place in the next film. I would say we
0: had like the hotel receptionist women kind of were henchmen, I guess. Yep.
1: And Miss Tarot, I guess. Um, certainly none of them of what we come to expect of the more memorable weirdo henchmen that we get, uh, in later films. Uh, you know, between you know, some some of the more distinctive characters are even not so much the main villain, but the the people that pal around with him. And then I don't know, is there anything else that you would want to call attention to in this film specifically? Uh, This is
0: one of only three Bond films where we see Bonds flat.
1: Yes, you're right. Do you know the other two?
0: Yep, Live and Let Die and Spectre.
1: Oh, that's probably because you're looking at it.
0: <laughs> yes but i also like after looking at it i also remember both of those scenes i was thought
1: bond lived in a house though in live and let die at least that's what it looks like to it me. does
0: look more like a house yes okay yeah. this is one of only three where we see bond's residence
1: correct okay <laughs> all right so do you have any final thoughts on this this film i think our recording is almost as long as the movie itself that's is. par for the course for these sort of sorts of things really uh I'd say, I mean,
0: as I said in the beginning, you do sort of have to look at it as a product of its time uh, because there are definitely things that would not fly in a movie today. But viewed through that lens, it is not nearly as egregious as plenty of other films from that era. And I think it does hold up for the most part. It's
1: It sets up the archetype of the Bond family. Yeah, I agree. I think there are, like you said, there are some parts that make you cringe a little bit. Um, I would even say that there are ones in other films in this franchise that are worse. It's it's surprisingly a simple story, I think, when you're used to Bond films. if you If you're just coming at it randomly, having seen a bunch of films and you watch this one, it seems a little quaint at times, I think. Not in a bad way. It's just very, it's a very straightforward story. You don't have a lot of twists and turns. There's not a big surprise reveal or anything like that. But it's, it's, and it's very faithful, I would say, to the original material, which you can't always say about these stories. So I, it's not really one that I tend to just randomly pull off the shelf if I feel like watching a Bond movie. Um, But I'm glad that we got to watch it again. Um, I enjoyed it. It's, it's one that I like to watch. I would definitely hold it in high regard compared to some of the other ones. Uh, And yeah, and, and it certainly set the stage for films to come. Um, I think we're gonna get into a a few here in a row here that are very solid and very good um, before this series kind of makes some questionable decisions in a little bit but uh, you know the, the the first three or four I think are, are very solid and, and hold up really well
0: yeah i I do actually want to mention a little bit about the different titles in different foreign languages here um, this okay. is. Been a recurring motif for me on other podcasts that I've done, if you've ever listened to one of those. But um, as is usually the case, the Germans go straight for a description and they call it James Bond chases Dr. No. (laughs) Uh, Japan, I think, has the coolest title, which is 007 is the killing number. Wow. Okay. And in Spain and Portugal, it's Agent 007 versus the Satanic Doctor. Which is kind of cool, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and in uh, Denmark, Sweden, and Italy all called it... Oh No, I'm sorry. Sweden and Italy called it License to Kill, which was a problem, <laughs> um, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> when, when they didn't know what to call License to Kill. Um, but, yeah. And uh, Denmark just called it Agent Double Agent Double O Seven colon Mission colon
1: Kill Doctor No. <laughs> okay. So, so my f- my favorite title story for this film though, and is actually from Japan. I don't know if you've read this one, where when they were translating the title, they originally read it as Doctor question mark No exclamation point, <laughs> and then they had posters made where the. Tra- where the, where, where the film translation title was translated to, We Don't Want a Doctor. Oh,
2: that's
0: amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. If you would like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at Podspiel, or you can send us an email at Spielpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Listening to Film. And you can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. Uh, any last words yeah. here?
0: Nothing major. Just uh license to spiel will return with From Russia With Love. <laughs>